Thanks for finding us again. Live on tape from World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th in Gleason in Portland. It's another OMN Coffee Shop conversation. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and TuneIn in addition to the OMN website. I'm Tom D'Antoni, and with me today is Jay Bozick, one of the unsung heroes of the music scene in Portland. You may know him as King Fader from his DJ work in clubs. He has also added magic from the board that even the musicians can't match in his work with live bands. Sometimes he does sound, sound reinforcement only. He is currently handling sound at the Jack London Review, a new club in the Rialto downtown. He's done a whole lot more than that. You'd be amazed. He was there when you were there, even if you didn't realize it. Let's meet King Fader, Jay Bozick. Welcome to the Cupping Room, uh, a source of amusement for many people, because I don't know all of the many things that they can think of what it is. And it's uh, here at the World Cup Coffee and Tea, our home at uh, Northwest 18th and Gleason. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me, Mr. D'Antoni. Uh, <laughs> um, when you tell people what you do, what, what is it? What is it that you do? You're a what? Currently, uh, I, I uh, go by the, I also go by the, the nickname, I'm Jay Bozick. I also go by the nickname of King Fader. Yeah. And with a lot of places that I do stuff at, if I do it right and I get to do what I want, then I call it King Fader Sound Lights Atmosphere. Uh-huh. Because I kind of look out for everything. Um, that started, uh, but but otherwise, but yeah, I've been doing sound since I was a kid. Uh-huh. Um, since I, literally since I was a teenager, since I was twelve, I was doing. I was into stereos before that. So audio is completely a natural thing for me. It seems. When you say into stereos, what do you mean? I was touching them and turning the knobs and putting <laughs> records on and. Yeah. The, guy, the clerks at the stereo stores, like Myron Frank, like when I was like eight, they were like, oh, he's cool. You know, he can, he can, instead of like, don't touch, don't touch, you know, it was like, I was actually entrusted with that. And, wow. and, 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 and uh, yeah, so I was into stereos and, and then got into live sound. And um, that was literally when I was 12. And I've been doing it ever since. What kind of sound did you do when you were 12? Um, I set up a sound system for all the school functions in my grade school, Metzger wow. Grade School, Metzger wow. Grade Grade Six, because Grade Five, I wanted to do it in the fourth grade, but the, I was at Twalton, I was at Twalton Elementary, and they just had some like horns on the sticks. That's where I got into playing bass guitar and cello uh-huh. in the fourth grade, and so I was getting into sound, but I was also into music. Um, but then I, but then like twelfth grade, or no, no, when I was twelve. Or, Fifth grade, I went to started going to Metzger Grade School, and then they had their sound system was like tube Bogan amps, like you know, tubes and like speakers above the ceiling and like things in the closet. You know, there wasn't really a PA system. It wasn't something like you know current. It was old stuff. Uh-huh. But luckily, the school got broken into over the summer, and then <laughs> so they got like a full new sound system, and then they had to have like like the janitor had to like the custodian had to like you know install it. So it took a while. So it was like on a cart. Uh-huh. For the most part, and you know, I just had to, had to plug the speakers in and plug the mics in, and it's like I, that's how I learned to do that. And and because I was because it had to be done, and the music teacher was like, "Jay, you're a gem," you know. She was I was playing bass and doing all the music stuff, and she's like, "Yeah, you can do that." I'm like, "Okay," because I think I had the knack for it, and I did. So that's where that started. And you knew how it was supposed to sound right away. Um, I guess I don't know. I just you know turned the mics up and heard them and it seemed to work out. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. Hey, this, this was for, what, live live music in, in there or speeches? Yeah, or? yeah choir events, uh-huh. plays, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. Um, Did you have music? anybody to, to, to teach you how things should be? Not really. Um, not, not, not. I mean, I don't know, even know if the custodian taught me anything. Um, and it was kind of a weird setup, too. Once it got set up, you know, I mean, he told me how things were plugged in. Uh-huh. 
but I just sort of was turning them up and making them sound right. Um, yeah, it wasn't until, I think it wasn't until junior high school to where I met the shop teacher, Mr. Wellington, who uh, at Fowler Junior High, he kind of gave me a little bit more insight onto sound systems a little bit because he was a musician, so he was playing in bands. Uh. And so he was, you know, pushing me to do the sound work as well. And so I continued doing it in junior high school. And I also started DJing at that time as well. And he was, you know, he was also DJing dances sometimes or had these lights that he would put up. And so I, I kind of got into the lights. So I got into the, some of the light stuff, you know. It was like... What, what year was that? In, in decades? Yeah, right? like in the, in the 19 watts. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Metzger was like 85, 86. Okay. So gr- junior high school was 87, yeah. 88, yeah. 89. Yeah. And then I went to uh, one year at Tigard High as a sophomore, and I couldn't get into any of the theater tech classes that I wanted to do because, well, I got in the classes, but I couldn't get any gigs and because I, was, I didn't have good enough grades. And, and I was kind of a weird punk-looking kid, and everything was kind of like, you know, I wasn't, and there was a lot of rednecks around there at that time, you know, uh-huh. coming from Tualatin and stuff. And I didn't get along with a lot of people, but I'd get along with a lot of, a lot of other people and that I still know to this day. Huh. Um, but then I went, then over the summer, and see, like, so, and I had some altercations, and, t- and Tiger High just didn't work out for me. So over the summer, like, quick as it could be, I um, heard about this school called MLC, which is right up the road from here, Metropolitan uh-huh. Learning Center. Oh, yeah. It's a kindergarten through 12th grade alternative school. Uh-huh. And... Um, you had to you had to want to go there. You had to write an essay to get accepted, uh-huh. and which is hard to believe for someone that's in like the first or second grade. I'm not sure what they do for that. But yeah, as, really. a, as a high schooler, like I had to do that. So I'm like, okay, I'll do that, and I did it, uh-huh. and I got accepted, um, and you know, of course, learned a lot more stuff there. Started doing the same sound stuff and DJing. I met people and got into car stereos, and and uh, and then I also started volunteering at KBU. Uh-huh. And that's where that kind of comes into play. Um, that started actually at, at, at Tiger High because some friends of mine had gone to a late night show. And I was like, since junior high, all the cool kids in junior high school turned me on to good music. And also to do my hair weird and put... Now, when a, you say good music, what do you mean? Just non, not, not Z100, you know, at uh-huh. the time, like... They turned me on to KBU. They turned me uh-huh. on to like new wave music and uh-huh. punk music and, and and metal and like I was I was in in little cliques of all sorts of different people. Huh. Like I wasn't a metalhead. I wasn't a thespian. I wasn't uh-huh. a drama, you know, or what is yeah. art kid or something. I was like yeah. all of those. Huh. And so and it, and it worked out really good in junior high school for me doing school dances because that's when I started DJing uh-huh. um, because I everyone liked me. So they knew I'd play something for them. Yeah, yeah. And so it kind of like, and I usually did, you know, and I managed to do it some way, please all the audiences, you and know. You, did you mix up the, 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 the genres when you were doing that? Yeah. Okay. Because it was, you know, I was getting into actual club dance music. And uh-huh. and, and, I, and I learned DJing by listening to a mixtape from the warehouse. Really? Yeah, because they had the, the, the DJ, a friend of mine went there, and it was the warehouse where, um, where, uh, it ended up being a punk club at one time before that. I forgot which one. The Euphoria, I think. Oh. And now it's, you know, Branks and Retoure, and then right. now it's the, the the other places that it's currently. Is there um, something in the in the first floor of that now? Yeah, it's called 45 East. Okay. Um, but that was, I think that was the main dance club, I think, unless it was upstairs, but I think it was the dam- the bottom uh-huh. floor. And so anyway, that was the warehouse, and it was kind of the the... the, the collect all of, of DJ sort of clubs. I mean, they accepted all races and genders, and it was just, uh-huh. it was very open, I think, for that time. And, and, and I got a, a, a friend from, from junior high school who gave me a, a mixtape. She was just like, they just put a tape in the deck, you know, that night, record 90 minutes, and you get it back later, and there you go. Yeah. And their cue, their fader, their crossfader, something was like kind of dirty or broken, so you could like 
faintly in the background hear the cueing of the other record. Uh-huh. And that's how I figured it out, like the phrasing and when to bring it in and all this stuff. And then, uh-huh. and then once he brought it in, like how it didn't work out, and then he brought it back out and like tried again. You know, it's <laughs> like I pretty much learned how to DJ by listening to that one tape uh-huh. over and over again. Uh-huh. And uh, so, so there's this DJing thing, there's this sound thing, and when I went to uh, MLC, it was sort of like, I'm like, ah, I want to get into radio, you know, and I was always kind of like watching WKRP as a kid, you know, <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, I want to do in radio, and so I finally was like able to get there and officially become a volunteer and everything, and so uh, I got into the engineering department, and I've had radio shows there over the time, and, and, and but, it, but at MLC, you had to get work experience credit and community service credit mm-hmm. um, as part of its whole community thing as an alternative school and so I was volunteering at KBU so much that my community service credit was pretty much dialed in every year because I just wrote it off right there I get 40 hours no problem Mm -hmm. I do that in a few months you know and you got to do that for the year and then the same thing I started you know learning audio and learning you know technical things there um, how to make cables and all this stuff from the chief engineer and and I was also doing DJing and radio and stuff and, uh, Who was your favorite DJ on WKRP? Well, there was only one. Oh, well, no, there was. Well, no, no. Actually, you know, Come it's on. kind of funny. That's a good question. Yeah. I can't. I, I, to com- what, to compare to between Venus Flytrap and yeah. Dr. Johnny Fever? Yeah. I get a lot of the... the Dr. Johnny Fever reminded me of the guy that taught me audio... Mr. Uh-huh. Wellington, yeah, and also a little bit of my dad, who was a biker. Uh-huh. So there was that kind of thing, this sort of like you know, cool stoner kind right. of whatever. Yeah. But Venus Flytrap was probably my early influences to African Americans, uh-huh. like and seeing all that. And so he was doing his, you know, yeah. getting his chimes out and doing yeah. his late night. Yeah thing and, and I was just like that's smooth I like that you know I was a segment producer on a TV show starring him and his wife really yes King World tried to try to do a kind of a, a black Regis and Kathy Lee kind uh-huh. of show uh, with with cool guests uh, and um, so that they brought it to Baltimore and uh, I got hired as a as a segment producer and uh, and we did really good stuff. The interesting thing was they had they, I had to write down all of the interview questions because they were not good. In, huh. They weren't good. But anyway, uh, and I was all set to move to L.A. because it was a, it was it was kind of a hit. And King World had to choose between that show or Chuck Woolery. Huh. Guess which one they picked. <laughs> I did not get back to L.A. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a bummer. Life's he was a great guy. Yeah. <laughs> Tim Reed. Tim Reed, yeah. And Daphne, his wife Daphne. Yes. Tim and Daphne. Tim and Daphne. Was that, what time, when was that? That was... Uh, was that sort of him coming off of WKRP Yeah, fame? yeah it was around, around 89, 88, 89, around in there. 87, maybe. Anyway... <laughs> So you're learning all this stuff. Yeah, and I was trying to... Are you to making a living at it? I have been over my whole life, Okay. pretty much. Yeah. I mean, give or take. You I know, mean, then? Then, um, well, I don't know. I was still living at my mom's until I was like 23 or so or two or something. So yeah. I didn't have to totally make a living. But <laughs> um, yeah, it, I... I it, it, but that start, but actually started making money. I didn't make money at KBU, of course. Right. And so, and it's hard to make money DJing. And when you're starting out, you're sort yeah. of in your bedroom trying to you know, do school dances or whatever. Or you can't get into clubs and everything right away, especially underage. So, um, so I, I I started getting into live sound, and I started hanging out with this in this neighborhood in Southwest Portland. You mean sound reinforcements for bands? Yeah. Okay. And doing live sound, yeah. yeah. And I, uh, I don't think X-Ray Cafe was open yet, but I was, that comes into play in the early days of my live sound. Uh-huh. Um, Satyricon's the main thing. And I was going there when I was probably 19 
you know, before I was 21. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I was, I, I in the, there was this place called The Ghetto in Southwest Portland where all these bands live, Sweaty Nipples, Village Idiot, Dutch Boy Fingers, 90 Proof. I did sound for a lot of them. And that's how, and that because they, I was hanging out with them, you know, yeah. partying or whatever. And, and my friend Radio Sloan was, brought me there and, and uh, so I would do sound for some bands and, you know, learn how to, like, carry an amp head in to get into a bar, you know, as, <laughs> you know, to get in for free or would load in, you know. Yeah. And so I was pretty much doing that. And I would get into Satyricon, and that's where I met, like, Dave Height uh-huh. and Mario and, 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 and Bruno was there. I tried to avoid him, though, because he was the doorman um, because I was underage. Yeah. So, but eventually I was, you know, it was cool and I was, you know, I was working, quote unquote, working, uh-huh. you know, and, uh-huh. but I was learning how to do sound and, uh, and I was doing that a lot and, you know, hanging out in that kind of place and other clubs and stuff here and there. And so my MLC credits, I needed, you know, work experience. So that eventually became my work experience credit. I have Dave uh-huh. Height sign off for my whatever hours of work experience at Satyricon at nightclub, you know? And, and, you know, the day that I turned 21, it was, I was really good friends with George by then, George uh-huh. to the owner. And I was just like, Hey George, guess what? <laughs> like I'm 21 now. And he was just giving me one of his like, ah, oh, you, you, but I was, but did I was, he know you were underage sneaking in all the time? No, he didn't know I was underage oh, the whole time. <laughs> The only people that did, I think, I think the sound people are the only people that did. I don't even know if, I don't even know if um, Bruno did, um, Ben Manat. I don't remember if he did, but that was, I might've been 21 by then. And this is before Fellini's open. Yeah. So this is like, I, I, I actually, the, the, when I started going there was just a little too late because it was, it was the year after Nirvana did their infamous like yeah. New Year's Eve show. Uh-huh. So I started going there that year after that, um, but yeah, I uh, that those were early, you know, influential times in my audio life and live uh-huh. sound and bands and touring and meeting people and musicians. And then I was do- also doing KBU, and then I had the Church of Northwest Music radio show with Mark uh-huh. Baker and, yeah. and Ronna Kennedy, uh, Re- Reverend Reckless. What was your role in that? I was Brother Jay. Okay. As as you know. Yeah, and 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 this was I was started in the Northwest Music Show, which was when Fiona was still there. I was like on her very tail end of it, uh-huh. um, like right before Mark came in. I did a couple, but uh, because I was wanting to do live sound. Yeah, and that was a weekly show, and so um, I well I did the audio mixing. I mixed all the bands every week, um, different band every week live on the radio. And KBU at that time didn't really have much of a live music setup. You know, there wasn't monitors. It was sort of like you know. Let's bring in the state channel mixer and kind of plug it in, and then uh-huh. we got to plug some mics in and, and this, and, and you know, there was tie lines in the studio, so you're you're isolated from the band, but it was still like you know, you run a headphone feed and find some headphones that work, you know. <laughs> but eventually, you know, I started collecting gear, I started buying gear, I I, I started getting gear borrowed for KBU, uh-huh. um, and, and sort of a permanent loan through my work with Concert Sound, who I started doing the work with as well, the sound company, um, who had the sound company in Satyricon. Um, I was able to get a mixer loaned for a long time, and we got some monitors eventually, and T.C. Smith actually loaned some monitors at one point for a long time. Um, and so I had to set up, that was a, it was sort of the same thing, like with, with, with when I first started in, in Metzger grade school, it was like uh-huh. I, I had to pretty much set up all this stuff every week. Yeah to make it work um, because it was a hodgepodge of my stuff, right. KBU stuff, borrowed stuff, and it wasn't installed, you know. <laughs> and so it wasn't like we could really train other people to do live sound mixing, live band mixing, because it wasn't, this, it wasn't like a uniform right. arrangement that's always the same. Right, right. Um, eventually, we got that. Um, KBU got a grant, and then I sort of spec'd out a system and got this sort of fully analog, you know, live music mixing deal and so now they can train people and they did mm-hmm. I don't have to do it all the time you know or <laughs> didn't you know and so it's but that was that was uh I started mixing all the live music on KBU or not all of it but I mean a lot of it yeah um I still I think I Brandon Lieberman's show which is still on right now drinking from puddles I've been mixing all of his bands pretty much ever since his show has happened and it still wow. happened it's still going on yeah and I didn't realize that I mean I I, I know I missed one 
because he put out a CD compilation of a bunch of live performances, and one uh -huh. of them I didn't mix. Oh. One, the, the, the program director mixed him at the time, that, that particular band. But um, So I was like, oh, I guess I can't stop now, you know. It was just, I'm like, God, can't you find someone else there that's like, you know, sort of like into it or doing the, 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 the music, you know, that's, yeah. I'm not really actively yeah. involved at KBU anymore as much as I was, uh -huh. you know. So I was just like, ah, there's got to be someone else that could do it you know, if I had some working gig or something. But yeah. Wait, no, he's like, no, you have to do it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <clears throat> so, yeah, um, I've mixed Poison Idea on there twice. Uh -huh. um, tons of bands, tons of bands. I mean, I mean, he's had a lot of more national bands than the Northwest Music Show had, of course. Uh -huh. But, uh, yeah, a lot of bands, a lot of bands going through there. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of a fun thing. Now, when I met you, it was the first time, I had only been to town a couple of years because I, I got to town in 97. And uh, I guess it must have been 2000. And I met you, you were with Dahlia. Mm -hmm. Now, you were part of the band. Yeah, not a lot of people knew that. No, nobody knew that. But, um, <laughs> it, but the people that were there every week knew that. You know, that. when I did the story, I didn't interview you. You, you, which I, I would, you, I've always felt really bad about. I've always had a grudge about that as well. <laughs> well, you should. But I mean, but it was we had there was like a slight interview, but it was really short and I didn't make it. But it was just, but it was, it was, it was typical of, of everything, really, because yeah. it was, I wasn't really that huge of a part unless people, right. unless like I said, unless you're there every week and right. you saw what was going on and you heard all the interactions that we were doing, right. well, then you and, really kind of get it. Jen was such a gigantic personality. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I yeah. wasn't on stage. Well, pe people thought she was Dahlia. I'm sure you of know course, that. Of course, of course. That yeah. It was a constant, yeah. constant uh, correction all the time. You know, <laughs> like Dahlia's two people or three people. You know, there, yeah. I mean, it started yeah. out with, a, there was a bass player in the band at first, and it, it, but it was... But yeah, that was um, that was after a lot of my Satyricon stuff. Yes, um, I was getting into dub music a lot, and and had started doing sound for this band Kaiju Seven, who turned into Hezra, who turned into Systemwide. Mm -hmm. um, so I was into a lot of that, and I was mixing like the Five Fingers of Funk, um, just getting into this whole sort of beat-based thing, and also I was still into DJing. And so eventually, I was doing sound for Jen's band, uh -huh. who had kind of a dub of influence she wanted the effects Jen, Jen Folker yeah yeah um and I don't remember how I met her but I was doing yeah. sound for a band and one time I was doing it underneath the Roseland um that venue uh, the what is it called some, some somebody's place that guy's place yeah. it, it just opened and 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 uh and Dan Reed came up to me at the mix position I was mixing her band he came up and he's like hey I'm opening up a nightclub I'm like, oh, yeah, I heard about that because I had just done a gig at Key Largo like you know, oh. a few couple weeks ago or yeah, something. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I heard about that. He's like, yeah, I want you to be my sound guy. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, <laughs> so that's how that happened. And uh -huh. eventually, you know, the club eventually opened and things got sort of settled into place and I became the house guy there. Yeah. And therefore, I started doing Tuesdays, which was, you know, a little poetry night and sort yeah. of a speakeasy vibe. And then this sort of improv electronic thing would happen. And... uh and I started doing that, and that's how I eventually folded into Dahlia. Uh -huh. And um, and then all the other, you know, the bands like System Wide was playing there, and so that was sort of the electronic. That's where I learned pretty much all of my other things besides sound. Uh -huh. um, Dan Reed kind of taught me how, you know, to set the lights and how to kind of vibe out a room, and uh -huh. and because we had vid visual projections, we had sure. video video stuff behind the yeah. on the you know behind the band, yep. but there's also like a wall of like slide projector uh -huh. uh, art, like four projectors doing like uh -huh. different things, making a scene. Um, that Reed Reed Bennells. Um, look-see light show. He was the, the visual projectionist there for the first part. Um, he was an old rave rave uh -huh. projectionist yeah. and then also a San Francisco psychedelic one. He was like older. Yeah. Um, so he kind of, you know, showed me that world of, of layering, um, you know, film images. Uh -huh. And... And then there was, you know, some light people that were there, and I had to do the lights because I eventually I became the only person running everything. Like Reed was only in for special occasions. There yeah. was never a light person there, <laughs> um, and so I was the house sound guy, and I had to do the stage lights and also the dance club lights. And then I learned to program it because I'm sitting there and I'm playing with it. I'm like, well, I don't like that, so I want to change it. So I learned how to program intelligent lighting, uh -huh. as well as doing video mixing. 
and you know it was all VCRs and one DVD right. player and it was a video <laughs> mixer and, and and so that was that was sort of getting that that's how I got into all that uh-huh. and I still do video mixing and, and, and visual projections and all that you know now as well when I can what do you think that band would have sounded like if some if you hadn't been if you hadn't been working with them with who what with Dahlia what do you think they would have been what was it that you brought to their sound um a lot of active effects, you know, that were on Jen because uh-huh. her vocal was just sort of there. And she wasn't, I mean, it was, there wasn't, they, they weren't doing songs, you know, per right. se. There wasn't right. lyrics, there wasn't anything, right. and it wasn't always the same, and it was very live and improv. Yeah. So I was already... It sounded like lyrics. That was that was sort of the goal, yeah. Right. I didn't want to think it was saying <laughs> something, but, but you know, it, but that, there was another, yeah. And so I was... Um, I was, you know, like I said, I was getting into dub before that time as well, yeah. and so I was just sort of playing with things, and then eventually I just play with them a lot louder, and then she interacts with them, uh-huh. and then, you know, all of a sudden I might, I might be the person that's actually creating this intense buildup, yeah. and then I kill it, and then, then it breaks, like, as the breakdown, as it were, and yeah. then it goes into, like, the, the other part of the song or whatever, you know, uh-huh. I started doing some of that. Yeah. Um, Vidalia was just pretty much Keith would you know, come up with his, his, his jams. Uh-huh. He would, he would be playing and, 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 and coming up with stuff all the time. And just, you know, during sound check, he would just say, here, check this out. And it's usually just like, uh, several loops of, of an, of a, of a thing, you yeah. know, beats and bass lines and little yeah. things. And, yeah. and he'd say, check this out. And Jen would kind of like, Oh, that's cool. You know? And then yeah. like, that would be it. You know, we wouldn't like work something out. She would hear it and kind of like, sing along with it and kind of go ah, blah, 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 blah. Uh-huh. and and that would be it and then that night is when that song would develop its first legs yeah of however she went with it however keith went with it because uh-huh. he could like turn stuff off and on right um that was how the song sort of developed as if they reoccurred at all they would just reoccur in that sort of manner right. um and and so yeah it was mostly improv but it was and it was always different every week even though you'd have the same uh-huh sounds of from him you know what happened with jen and me and and even what keith was doing would kind of be a little different it was they weren't like i said they weren't written out songs so you weren't you wouldn't know what to expect next is the thing yeah yeah yeah. and uh yeah then that sort of evolved interesting were you there the night i brought the uh i shot part of my assistant suicide documentary there Keith had um, Keith written the music had, for it. Keith had written some music for it. Yeah, and I and, and I had played it for the because the guy was still alive, right? And I brought him down there mm-hmm. to hear him to hear it performed live. It was yeah. one of the most intense things I've ever seen ever in my life because yeah. the guy, you know, they're playing right, mm-hmm. and the th- I mean it was the theme because I had walked into Tiger Bar yeah. after the first day of shooting. And I said, of course, you could talk to Keith while he was playing. <laughs> and I said, Keith, I got this thing. And, he, he, and I told him, he said, I'm all over it. A couple of days later, he, he, he sent me some music, which was perfect. He he'd never seen it. It was mm-hmm. perfect. It was perfect. It became the theme you know, the, 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 for, for the, uh, the piece. And um, so... I, and so they're, you know, I, we had two cameras, and I, and so we, they're playing the theme from the. And One of them was getting his reaction as well. Yeah, and the the guy who was you know who was going to kill himself just melted. He mm-hmm. melted. I mean, seriously, just fucking melted. No, I, yeah, I was. It was amazing. To, to answer your question, yes, I was there. I <laughs> yeah. remember that. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh. And I and I actually even remember. When when the when the I think I saw it. I don't remember if I saw the finished product, maybe. but I remember asking like, yeah, maybe yeah. a couple of years later, like whatever happened to that? I asked him because yeah. I think because he didn't. It it took him a while to like, yeah, yeah. to come to that decision. The, o- the only thing he wrote his decision. What was his name? Robert. Robert's decision. Yeah. That's what it was called, yeah. or that's what the knit uh, song or whatever. Ro- yeah. Uh, the only thing that Keith wrote to video was the death scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so that was a pretty good scene every Tuesday night. Yeah. Yeah, we had some good times. Now, were, were, were you, where did you take that from there? 
I mean, did you continue to to embellish and add and and and, and help shape performances? Um, are you talking about for Dahlia for or anybody. just for anybody? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I I after I I, I became known for doing that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I you guess know? so. Because I because mean, actually it sort of it, it it's it stemmed from actually doing. Try, I, I've wanted to do studio work as well. I've done well, I've done a lot of studio work. I've made some records, but I'm not, I haven't had a studio or anything. You know, it's like KBU every week was pretty much like my studio. Yeah, and so I would. I would kind of try to overproduce things in a way, as it were, like as far as effects and stuff. And and sometimes it was a little excessive. Many times it was a little excessive. <laughs> but as I look back, but I mean, but it was also, I was trying to like create, even just on the fly, not yeah. even knowing what the songs are going to be yeah. like. Bands well, you, are develop, you develop your own boundaries by doing too much. Yeah. Well, and I also <laughs> recorded myself. So I was always uh -huh. listening to myself. Yeah. And that was the key thing. Like a lot of live sound people don't record themselves. And I was record doing Record yourself a, doing what? Record your mixes. Okay. Just gotcha, to hear gotcha. it, you know. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. and even if it's not balanced because it was outside or but it, but, it, but this was in the studio, so it was live on the radio. Yeah. And so I was always hearing that and um but I would kind of want to like have a different sound, a different feel for each song so it sounded like instead of just a band playing straight, you know, it was just I yeah. kind of like added this stuff and that's sort of how I kind of came and found different atmospheres mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And I think that helped. I mean, because I've you know I've done sound for other bands, mm -hmm. and you know I I sometimes bring that if it, if it's needed. Um, some bands don't want all that, and I yeah. also that's where I learn restraint. You know, sometimes I haven't learned that yet, but I try. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> and they find someone else. But <laughs> it is I, I, you know there there seems to be some sort of constant thing between musicians and the and, and the sound guy mm -hmm. and sometimes it's really good and sometimes it's not so good um yeah just like any job i guess you're right, right. you know you, you know. get along with them you know but then eventually things don't work out yeah you know? yeah yeah uh you think they want what you offer but then you <laughs> offer it and it's too much or not right how, how or do you handle that in the middle of a gig um, well, what do you, I don't, yeah, I, 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 try, I, I mean, if you ever, if you have ever had people, you know, members of the band company say you're not doing this right, I don't like this, change it. Um, sometimes, yeah, in a manner yeah. of different ways, there's been, yeah. there's been stuff that could have waited till later, you know, <laughs> on review or something, but yeah, there's been times where I've been called out. Yeah. Um, I actually was, you know, mixing Hitting Birth forever for a long time uh -huh. and then started mixing King Black Acid and then Daniel Riddle is known for just sort of saying stuff right over the mic and, <laughs> and I was I was mixing them since their incarnation yeah and he would just be like gee there's all this feedback up here and I'm like okay I'll fix it or, or it was usually this constant thing was just like he would ask the audience how it sounds <laughs> and, I'm, and it's, it's sort of just like it's to, I think to him he's just sort of like hey you know how's it going and everything but to me it's like are they going to be with me or for against me? Or, you know, it's yeah, like yeah. usually they're cheering and hooraying, but like, <laughs> but it's just like asking the audience that it's sort of kind of, it can be a, shouldn't he be asking you that? I, <laughs> then I would, of course I would say it's great, but you know, well, yeah. no, it's, no, I, it's just a funny thing, but you know, that's the only, uh, I mean, there's times where, you know, you're, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think you do know. Just other examples or yeah. what have you. Um, so, uh, so now you're at Jack London. Yeah. Is that, is that a full-time thing? If I can keep it as a full-time thing, yeah. <laughs> um, what do you mean? I've been sort of not with a steady sort of home for a while, as yeah. it were. Like I was the house guy at the Ohm, uh -huh. and I pretty much made that my place, you know, and then... What I've been working at before the Jack London, and not as a regular paid thing, but Valentine's. Uh -huh. My friend Opie, who I met at Burbati's, because her f she's a daughter of Ted, one of the owners of Burbati's. Um, I was doing all this Burbati's stuff before the Ohm. Uh -huh. um, and, and she recently, or you know, several years ago, she bought the, uh, the, the bar in, in Ankeny Alley called Valentine's. Uh -huh. 
And I started hanging out and sort of helping her out with stuff. And I, you know, I found some speakers, or I had some speakers that I installed there that were from the Ohm and Key, Lar from the Ohm and Key Largo. And, uh, and so I finally got the sound kind of dialed in there. And I've sort of been helping her to kind of like get things mm -hmm. tweaked out, you know, yeah. looking at the fine, the fine tuning, the edges, just looking at details and going, let's change this. As far as decor, as far as lighting, as far as even, who, you know, booking or what have you, you know, um, and so I was, and I've, and I've, we've kind of like, I've just sort of been able to like have fun with that room. Mm -hmm. It's a small room. I put all the lights in there, the sound. I got a big color organ light display in there right now that, yeah. you know, works with the sound of the music and stuff. And yeah. which goes back to a, a color organ that I wanted since I started learning to do uh, DJ dances in junior <laughs> high school. The thing, you know, the force, you know, bands of, of electricity that yeah. interact with the sounds. Um, so, so I was kind of doing that. Oh, I was doing the, the crown room before that, which was pretty much just a dance club. Yeah. And so I was getting, I was doing a lot more lighting then, but it was kind of all the same thing of creating atmospheres and, and, and having fun with that and, mm -hmm. uh, and tuning, fine tuning the sound systems, you know, not just mixing bands, but like actually doing some equalization and limiting and. And all this stuff. I mean, I've learned that stuff over the years doing live sound, but also doing broadcast audio. Because I do, yeah. I still am, and sh I'm still responsible for how KBU sounds on the air. Wow. The actual FM processor Jeez. that does all the limiting and compression, the FCC yeah. requirement yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. That was all my tweaking. Huh. Like I would, I would bounce between stations. I had a remote control set up in my apartment, and the the processor's up on the hill at Stonehenge, and I can listen and adjust over time in a controlled environment, like in my living room, and I could bounce between <laughs> radio stations and compare. I'm like, oh, do we sound clearer than KMHD? Why, as a matter of fact, we do. Do we sound just as loud as KGON? Yes. And I'm like, <laughs> if I can make a non-commercial station sound as loud as the commercial stations, but uh -huh. not as annoying and processed and ugly as the commercial stations, yeah. and literally as clear as like a, you know, you're playing it on your stereo. Like right. I've had like a musician, Asher Fuller. Yeah. He actually said to me once, he's like, I think this is I think this is your doing, but but when I hear someone put a record on at Kabu, yeah. like it literally sounds as clean as putting a record on in my living room. <laughs> like you just don't hear all these artifacts, you know, and it's just it's just what sort a of great fun. compliment. Yeah, and I love yeah. it. Yeah. And uh and, and so that's sort of another thing. Broadcast uh -huh. audio. Yeah. It's like that's a whole yeah. other uh. realm, you know, but it's Do people discover new music? When they go to when they come to, to, to uh, one of your, one of your DJ gigs, or are they bringing that, that the knowledge of that music, and then you have to you have to to um, play what they like? Um, it's usually the first way around. Really? I don't, I don't really um, depending on where I'm DJing. I don't really play like exactly to the audience. I play uh -huh. what I think that they should want to hear or yeah. what's proper for the environment or uh -huh. the night that's happening. Uh -huh. So I just sort of pick up on anything of that realm that I want to do and hope it works out. Of course, if it's a dance floor and a weekend night, then it's yeah. like you kind of got to keep people's attention. You can't uh -huh. be throwing in oddball things all over the place. You right. know, you, I mean, of course, there's got to be flow, but it's like they still got to play some hits, you know, so people can sing along and, and yeah. you know, depending on, especially if it's like a typical downtown kind of crowd. Right. But, uh, but yeah, otherwise it sort of depends on where I'm playing, you know, usually people are open, hopefully open to things, you know. And how do you find new things to play? I look for old things. <laughs> no, I mean, I, uh, it, it's just, I don't know. I discover them somehow. How? I don't remember. You have to know. I don't know. I mean, do you I mean it used to be going to a record store, but well, but it there isn't aren't as much now. I mean, there aren't record stores. Although I have anymore. to go to one pretty soon. I'm going to go to Future Shock yeah. because I want to get some more jazz records. I need to expand my jazz collection uh -huh. because I have a lot of jazz on vinyl and records and whatever. Yeah. But it's like I need a little bit more because I want to. Because I'm also kind of putting music on the playlist and iPod for Jack London for, you know, in between yeah. stuff. And I kind of want I got to find some other different things. And, uh -huh. and I got to find the right opening stuff for Mel Brown nights. You know, he wants sort of subdued piano. And so it's like, right. I, I've got a good amount of that, some monk uh -huh. and everything. But I want to yeah. find a little bit different, you know, yeah. stuff. And yeah. so I'm going to go to Future Shock. And, and my friend, uh, 
King Tim 33 and a third owns it. It's right up on Burnside. <laughs> uh-huh. And he's going to probably find me some used jazz records to buy and <laughs> get a few re- reggae records. And, uh-huh. and uh, yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of the internet now. It's like you just right. sort of discover things however you discover them, like Friends Post or Spotify or whatever, uh-huh. you know. I don't know. Um, Do you, you find yourself chasing hits? No. Not hits, not really chasing hits. No. Okay. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm more into the B sides, you know, <laughs> yeah. the, the dub yeah. versions. Like literally, like I've been getting into playing 45s lately, so I'm, uh-huh. I'm like looking for like a lot of like pop 45s from the 80s and it's sort of classics, you know, but right. on seven inch, right. uh, but also like old country records and that kind of thing. And, and, and I'm finding, and but I've always liked the remixes. Like when I was DJing, like yeah. I, I, I grew up buying the 12 inch single at yeah. Turntable Mary's or Second Avenue uh-huh. and learning about the B-sides and the remixes and the dub versions and, and the acapellas, you know, to like a mix, right. mix the acapellas over a re, over a instrumental of a different song, you know, right. kind of thing. Right. That's how the mashup started. Um, so I, I look for just the interesting sounds, really, you know. Was you know, it Gillespie? Was, who, who had the... Who has a, someone had a quote, either Gillespie or Monk or... Is like, or maybe it was, or maybe it was Miles Davis. He's like, I'm not, int- I'm not into music. I'm into sounds. <laughs> it's like I'm into music, but I like cool right. sounds, you know. Right. So yeah. it's, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it just sort of, it just sort of comes to me. Yeah. So. One time I was uh, at the old KMHD when no one was running it and you could do anything at all. Uh-huh. <coughs> I did, a, I did like a, a, a three-part mashup, which included a cattle auction. Cattle auction. Which is great. Nice. You know, auctioneers. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I just heard something like that it's on music. WMFMU yesterday. It is music. <laughs> I mean, I did this 10 years ago. Yeah. It's music. I, I don't know how they do that. I, I, it's I, still I mean, fascinating. Like, yeah. I, remember, I actually yeah. remember one time as a kid, I think it was somewhere in Legrand or something, yeah. and just sort of walking by, and there was, it was sort of walked by an auction, and I'm like, what are they saying? I know. <laughs> I know. When I had Direct TV, there was a there was a a a, 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 a farmers channel. Mm-hmm. Seriously, uh, it was great because they had they ran old Porter Wagoner TV shows and shit like that. But it was also um, uh, they also had cap auctions. Yeah, and it was just I could just put it, I just would leave it on. You know, because it was—it was, it was like a, a mesmer meditational kind of thing at one point. Yeah, you know, it's like, kind of like it's, it's kind of like poetry. You know, it's, it's somewhat like poetry. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess I, I guess you can teach that, but it's uh, it's it seems like a lost art form because I don't know if they're doing. Oh no, they're still cattle auctions. Cattle How do you think they sell cattle? Uh, eBay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just auctions in general, you know. I guess it, I yeah, do that, yeah. Well, they don't do it, you know. There's a there is a channel I think it's called Velocity or whatever something on on, on Comcast that they have they ha- they they have they sell cars, but it's not like cattle auctions yeah. or, or horse auctions. It's not like animal auctions, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> so. Um, uh, it must be fun to ex- expand your knowledge with this jazz stuff. It is, and yeah. I, um, I didn't realize it would be, but it's perfect for me because it's casual, and I'm kind of into that now, and I'm not really into like doing the big rock shows or whatever, yeah. you know, and, and or, or mixing tons of bands, yeah. and everything's clean and it's quiet yeah. and it's. I don't, calm. I, I don't. I don't think I agree with you about that. <laughs> I don't think it's uh, as far as at the Jack London. Well, I guess, but you know, uh, jazz isn't clean or, or. No, no, no. I'm just talking about just the environment. Oh yes, it's not oh, a right. dirty yes. punk club. No, you one, know. no one's throwing up. And, yeah, yeah. yeah right. Everything gotcha. is it's it's, gotcha. it's it's adult, you know. <laughs> and so I, I'm I'm getting into it, and uh, and I like the fact that it's sold out doing it. Um, yeah. And, and because it's they because because I mean just based on their festival. It's, yes. it's 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 going in various different offshoots of yeah. jazz everywhere, yeah. you know, yeah. Afro yeah. And, 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 and... But Nicholas really knows his shit. Yeah, I mean, it there's really all this different sort of stuff, so I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm glad that there's this a bit of a variety coming right. through, you right. know, because I like that. And yeah. I get into it because I was 
Yeah, I mean, I was into jazz as a, and when I was in junior high school. I was into jazz because yeah. I was playing bass, uh-huh. and I was, you know, Ron Carter method and everything, right? and yeah. and Tom Wakeling, sure, local bass player was yeah. my bass player. Um, he he he. Often I was asked to sight read, uh-huh. as a practice of sight reading, and you know he eventually learned that if that if if he plays the the out the the song for me first, uh-huh. I'll pick it up right away. Uh-huh. So he was like forcing me to sight read by not letting me hear it because I have an ear to where I can I could hear something and I could play yeah. it. Yeah, you know, and and so that was sort of a nice ear development thing. But but yeah, it was it was bass playing. Do you still have a bass? No, I sold it recently. I never oh, liked man. it. I wanted oh, to get really? it. I, I would, I, and I really wish I would have stuck with it. Because, you know, as everyone tells you growing up, you're like, stick with it, stick oh, yeah. with it. Because I would have been playing probably with all these people or something. Like even cello, like I would have, there's people do, I probably would have been in the Portland Cello Project by now yeah. if I would have kept doing it because I was uh-huh. really good then. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 but, and, and, and I just sort of let it all drop off, you know. Well, you're young enough to pick it up again, Jay. Uh, yeah, that's what, I, that's what I, that's what my mom says. <laughs> I feel like a, I, I was. That's what I got rid of my bass because I was. I was. Yeah. I pu- I pulled it out once, and I and you know, like five years ago or something, put it up on a stand in my living room just so I could maybe pick it up and play it. And then I realized that I don't have calluses anymore. Oh man! And oh. I'm like, this is really painful. Pain, pain, like, pain, pain, pain. I don't, pain, pain. Do, I don't think I'm gonna. Right. I don't think this is gonna be as casual as I thought. Right, I gotta have right. to rebuild all those calluses. I know. That's really what I, when I start, after I stopped playing guitar, I went, you know, and I picked it up again. Same thing. Mm-hmm. I don't like, know. Oh yeah, do this. calluses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe and, and even other. I never. I didn't get inspired by music to really play stuff. But what would you play? I don't know. It's really hard to say. I mean, I was into electronic production, uh-huh. and so, and I still kind of want to do that, but I just never get like. I I get bored with things really quickly. Ah. You know, and yeah, so I just sort of yeah. move on, and and, and That's why you you always do a million things. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's right. exactly why I, I do a million things. Why yeah. I. It goes back to these, those, all those different cliques of people in junior high school. Yes. It's like, I like to do this, but I want to do this. Like, I've got like full, I've got like video projection stuff I can do, but I also have like slide projectors I've collected and yeah. a bunch of slides. Yeah. It's really? like I can do and you know, wow. dissolvers, and it's like I can do that, but it's like finding somewhere to do it, you know. Right. It's like one piece that I'm missing, or this other thing. You yeah. know, there are all these little incomplete projects, you know, that you get in life, and it's. Like so are you are you getting to still DJ any or or is this Jack London thing all the time? Um, it's kind of all the time, yeah. but but I have a couple nights off and there's some places that I sometimes DJ at and yeah. uh, they happen to be on weekdays to drive off. Um, but I'm I, I haven't been DJing much lately. Um, huh. I'd like to figure out some you know more opportunities for that. Yeah. Um, but pretty much the Jack London's like a full time thing and I'm kind of happy with that. You know, I'm, it's nice making a living because I've been, yes. been a little struggling for a while. You know, yeah, yeah. and uh, and and I'm you know kind of taking care of the place and getting it sort of settled in and uh-huh. and, and working on things. And you got it all dialed in by now, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's well, for the most part, I mean, there's still adjustments to do. It's like uh-huh. I still want to get, I want to upgrade the microphones a little bit. And, uh-huh. and trying to get sort of the lighting situation figured out because it's a little awkward because it's such a low ceiling, you know, place. Yeah. Yeah. And because they had people install the lights and install the sound, but they kind of disappeared, like, you know, after (laughs) it was installed, which is fine with me because I actually want to take it. That's that's sort of like I'll sit through and let them, you know, do their thing. But it's like I I just sort of wait for them to leave because then I want (laughs) to, like, take it over and kind of, like, just fine-tune things my way. Right. You know, get the wires routed this way so it's different looking and cleaner. And it's sort of, you know, just just sort of, you know, nest a bit, as it were, and and, and get things situated and stuff. So that's kind of what's been going on, you know. uh, But it's been fun, you know. There's been a a variety of, of music and... It's been nice, you know, mixing the Mel Brown B3 organ group every Thursday. Okay. It's a fun thing, yeah. the old school, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, 
So bef cats. before we go, how did you get the name King Fader? Did you make that up yourself? Uh, no. Any DC, any good DJ doesn't make up their own DJ name. No <laughs> offense to anyone who's done that, but I'll tell you how. Um, uh, about the mid ladies, mid nineties, um, when I was doing the Ohm, I was doing the dub band system wide, and uh, you know, at, at the Ohm you had this way of in the mixed position platform, you could come up and go to the, 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 you could walk behind it yeah. because the coat check was right behind. So you could uh -huh. kind of like walk behind and see like what I was doing actually from behind the view. Mm -hmm. So people would often come up that way and talk or whatever. And the bass player came up and this is when I was in full bore. Like I had my own, I had my yeah. own gear hanging out there all the time. Yeah. I had everything situated how I had it. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I, I, I grabbed a crown from a Crown Royal bottle. When you first get the Crown Royal bottles, they come in the purple bag, uh -huh. and there's a little plastic crown on top. Yeah. And for some reason, I took one of those crowns, and I just, like, taped it to the top of the console. <laughs> and I was starting to do DJ gigs, and I had this DJ named EKO that I thought was cool. Echo, you know, but it was yeah. EKO, so yeah. it was old school sort of, like, uh, slang sort of spelling or whatever. And... Um, but it was E dot K dot O dot. So people would say EKO. I didn't want to say echo. So that got really confusing. That didn't work out. And so the bass player for, for system wide, um, Josh Lore, he came up to the back and he was like, look at that. He's like, King. And he's like, fader. Cause all the faders, there, the video yeah. mixer, the yeah. lights, everything. He's like King fader. That's who you are. I'm like, <laughs> okay. And it sort of like goes on the, the, the dub reggae thing with like King Tubby sure. and Scientist sure, and sure, King sure. Jammy and all that. So that kind of worked yeah. with that because that's where he was coming from. But but literally it kind of works with everything because I'm doing the lights, I'm doing the visuals, I'm doing yeah. the sound and yeah. all this stuff, you know. And and, uh, and then when I started doing the Crown Room, um, Tyler Tastemaker sort of came up with Fader for short. Yeah. And so that's sort of what it is. If people kind of call me something for short, it's Fader. People sometimes call me King for short, and it infuriates me. And I have to really correct him. I'm like, don't call me that because it's too. I'm not a king. It's like too intense of a of a title. I'm like, no, Fader for short. If you've got to do that, but yeah, King Fader. That's uh, that's how it came about. And now you're working with Louis Payne. Yeah, he's King there. Louis. King Louis. I know yeah. that was that was funny. Yeah, that was, <laughs> All right, man. Hey, thank you for coming in. I really appreciate it. I think pe more people should know who you are and and. Uh, uh, maybe, you know, some people know more about what you've done than, than they did before, and I hope that's true. Thank you. And uh, you do great work, and really appreciate you coming in. And I apologize once again for leaving you out of that story <laughs> 20 years ago, all right? <laughs> yeah, it's all right. Okay. It's all right. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, Tom. <laughs>